Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Well, good morning again, church. If you've got your Bible, why don't you go to Mark 5. Mark 5 is where we'll be today. We finished Mark 4 last week. Read an awesome sermon on Jesus calming the storm. We're in Mark 5 today, the start of Mark 5. And this is a story. Uh, just you know, full disclosure on the front end, this is a story about demons, about a man who's possessed by demons. And I think there's this temptation when we read about these stories, you know, in the modern world that we live in to think, you know, either that these are kind of relics of a bygone era or that uh, this really has nothing to, to do with me and my life. And I'm not looking at this uh, passage today because I think you're possessed by demons. Most of you, I don't think that. <laughs> but because these stories reflect life as it really is, the reality of life in ways that not many other stories do. And I, and I hope that you'll see that today. So let's jump in. We're in Mark 5, starting in verse 1. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. The man lived among the tombs. And no one was, sorry, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He'd been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and he smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and in the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and he knelt before him shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. And he said this because Jesus had already commanded him, unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He responded, Legion is my name because we are many. And they pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. What do you think is the, the preeminent, the most important virtue or value of our time? The thing that's elevated above all other virtues and values, what do you think it is? There's probably a lot of ways you might answer that question right now. You might think about peace, tolerance, kindness, fairness. And there's conversations to be had about all of those. But, but in my mind, those are all propping up one value above all other values. And that is the value of freedom individual freedom, to be and do exactly what you want to be and do, to be free. Now, we like our freedom, don't we? And we're Americans. <laughs> I love my freedom. I'm so thankful for the freedom that I have in this country. I am thankful for that freedom. I mean, we are the people 
you and I, we're the people who like freedom. You know, at the end of Braveheart, William Wallace screams out, freedom! You know, we're the people that look at each other and we nod. That's right, William. Freedom. You know. Okay, but here's the thing about freedom and freedom as the highest value or virtue is, is if you think about the person you know who has not given themselves to Christ Jesus. And maybe you're watching right now. Maybe you just stumbled upon this service. You're watching it for reasons you don't even understand why. Okay. And the person like you or those that you know who's reading this story that we claim to be good news of Jesus Christ and is thinking about kind of the central truth of that good news, that Jesus is Lord, that he's master, that he's king. Okay, the person who is hearing that for the first time and considering giving themselves to that master has to acknowledge that to do that is to give up what? Freedom. And who would want to do that? Who'd want to give up their freedom? Okay, and that's where a story like this one here in Mark 5 is so helpful. Because this guy is a picture of freedom. Look again, look in verse 3. No one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He'd been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke those chains. He smashed those leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Talk about free. No chain, no rule, no person controls this guy. He is absolutely free. And so he should be happy, right? Now, that's what the world tells us, is that if you want to be free, right, if you want to be happy, okay, those two things go together. That you will not be happy until you're free. I know that's what the world's telling our teenagers. I remember what it was like to be a teenager. Get that driver's license, get that freedom. This world's telling our teens, as soon as you are out from the thumb of your mom and your dad, your life is going to be so much better. You just can't wait until you're free. I know that's what the world tells a lot of spouses who become dissatisfied with their spouse and believe that someone else will satisfy them. If they were only free, they could be happy. I know that's what the world tells those who are pursuing money at all costs, that the more money they have, the more freedom they have with their finances, the more happy they'll be. It's what the world's telling that young adult who's sitting in their bedroom late at night, scrolling endlessly through pornographic website after pornographic website. You can do this because you're free. It's not hurting anyone. And I think it's what the world tells the young mom who's scrolling through Facebook and seeing these pictures of all these people having fun on all these trips and vacations. And here she is changing diapers, so busy she hasn't showered in days. If you were free, mom, you'd be happy. If you were free, you'd be happy. Why is this guy not happy then? Why is he not happy? He's free. Okay, not only is he not happy, he's hardly human. You remember in Genesis 1, the first thing that God does, the very beginning of the Bible, the story of the creation of the world, the first thing that the God Most High does is he speaks. And then do you know that the first thing that Adam 
the first man that he makes, the first human that he makes, the first thing that Adam does, do you know what it is? He speaks. You know, what separates Adam and Eve from the animals all around them in the Garden of Eden is that they speak. And they inherit that directly from God. That's what makes humans different from others. And notice in this passage, this guy can't even talk anymore. He howls and screams. When he is asked a question, it is the demons that answer through the man. This man doesn't speak for himself anymore. He just howls. He's not happy. He's an animal at this point. He's not even human. Not only that, it's, it's not made him more alive. Do you see where he is? Did you notice that? Look in verse three. This man lived where? Among the tombs. Night and day, he's in the tombs. You know, his freedom has brought him to the place of death. And he can't get out. He's surrounded by death all day and all night. This man that nothing can control can't get away from death, which doesn't sound very free, does it? I was meeting with a young man a few years ago, and uh, this young man had made a choice. And the reason he'd, he'd made that choice was because, frankly, he was free to do it. And he wanted to do it. But then, and he didn't understand this, then all of these people who surrounded him, who he thought would be there for him through thick and thin, were all separating themselves from him. We're all distancing themselves from him because of the decision that he has made. He didn't understand it. I asked him to describe what that separation felt like. And he said, it feels to me like when this person I loved died. But nobody's dead. Everybody's alive. Why am I feeling this? And I was reminded of what Paul says in Romans. You remember this? The wages that sin pays are death. The wages that sin pays are death. Buddy, freedom is not nearly as free as you think it is. It is not nearly as free as you think it is. I was talking with another young man. And he's considering taking this step in his life that, in my mind, is a step away from God's purposes for him. In his mind, it's more of a gray area, and I'll grant him that. But he's talking to me. He's, he's going to take this step with his life. I said, okay, if, if, if you head in that direction, how will you know when you've gone too far? How do you know that you won't wind up lost and unable to get back? And he said this, I'll never forget. It. He said, I'll take it slow. I'll take it slow. Okay, take it slow. I said, nobody who wades into the ocean slowly imagines that they're going to get grabbed by the undertow and pulled out to sea. And yet every year at our beaches, that happens. Okay. Okay, just because you're wading into that water slowly doesn't mean that at some point you are not suspecting that you won't get grabbed by powers that you can't control, powers stronger than you, and you won't get pulled out to sea. I said, buddy, nobody runs into the ocean. Have you ever tried that? You fall when you're about knee high. Nobody can run into the ocean. Everybody wades in slowly, and yet some people still get pulled under. Right, just because you go slowly 
doesn't mean you're going to be protected. All right, and what you're thinking, me too. Well, here's the difference, Eric, between those two guys and this guy in the story is that this guy in the story is not actually free. I mean, this guy is a slave to powers unimaginable, evil powers that have a grip on him. This guy is not truly free. Ding, 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 ding. Right? That's what scripture is saying about all of us. All of us who are far from Christ, this is what Paul says. This is what we know. The person we used to be was controlled by sin, was a slave to sin. You know, hear me clearly right now. Sin is not just the decisions we make. Sin is not just the step we take in our freedom away from Christ Jesus, although sin is certainly that. What the Bible wants us to see, what Jesus wants us to see, what this story helps us to see is that the power of evil, sin in our lives is something that controls us, that has a grip on those of us who are far from Christ, that prevents us from having the control over our lives that we think we have. Sin is this illusory power that makes us believe that we're making our own decisions when all the time it has a control over us. It speaks for us and through us. And Paul says that was all of us until Christ came and found us. Um, I've talked about my dad many times. My dad was a minister for 30 years, and I have this memory of my dad when I was a child. He gets a phone call late at night, I think after dinner, probably getting ready for bed. And I can tell from his face that this is a serious call. He hangs up the phone and he tells my mom, I'm going to have to go. And then he, he says, so-and-so, <clears throat> a young man from our church at the time where my dad was ministering, that he had been arrested that night. And he had called my dad to come and, and bail him out. Now, uh, this young man, his, his mom had, had really struggled with him and, and the other children. She, she relied pretty heavily on the church to help them out. And so when he got locked up, he didn't have the heart to call his mom. And so he called my dad, the minister, to come and get him. And I remember thinking, <clears throat> dad is going to the jail? Does dad know the kind of people that are in there? In the jail? I mean, what if dad gets shanked? I mean, this is so dangerous. And I remember just being awed by my dad. My dad is so cool. He's so brave. And, and I've, I've reflected on that story since then. And that story has just kind of always been a repeat in my mind. And I think that story is one of the reasons I went into ministry. Just like, man, this is a cool job. Like, it is risky. There's nothing you won't do to reach people for Christ. You'll even go to the jail to reach people for Christ. And so I called my dad up this week. I said, I said Dad, tell me that story about the time you went and busted him out of jail. And he said, Eric, I don't remember that. <laughs> he said, I don't think that ever happened. What? My whole life has been based on this story, Dad. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. Maybe it didn't happen with, with my dad, but, but it does with Jesus. And that's what's remarkable, is the links, the distance Jesus goes to reach this guy who is so far from him. 
In some ways, there, there is, it is impossible that this man would be any further from Christ. Uh, let me just point out a couple things. Jesus has to go across the lake, across the water to find him. He has to get in a boat to go to this man. The man is in a graveyard, which is a place of death. It is an unclean place in the Jewish world. Jesus should not be there at risk of making himself unclean and unable to associate with his Jewish friends and family. That's where this man is, and he goes there to find him. And again, he's in a place uh, that he's also in a condition that is unclean. Jesus says he, he has an unclean spirit. He commands the unclean spirit to come out of him. So just being in proximity to this man, again, puts Jesus at risk. And not only that, he's in Gentile country. We know that because of all the pigs. So, you know, it's just like every possible step this man could have taken away from Jesus to distance himself from Jesus. He has taken and Jesus still goes to him and finds him. You know, don't miss what Mark, don't miss what Mark's trying to show us here. And this is such a powerful truth. Our freedom, when far from Christ, is not nearly as free as we think it is. It is its own kind of bondage. And yet there is no distance that Christ will not travel to reach us in that sin. There is no distance. Christ, as Francis Thompson called him, is the hound of heaven, always in pursuit of you and I. There's this uh, young man I know who's been far from Christ for a while, and um, I hadn't talked to him in a while, maybe a year. And over the last couple months, he's been calling me about once a week. And uh, he, he calls me the first time, and he has this question about faith. And it's a question that he had decided pretty resolutely a few years ago, and he had kind of turned away from Christ, couldn't bring himself to believe anymore. It was the same question, and, and that question had come back to him. And suddenly the answer he had, he had given for that question no longer satisfied. And so the question had returned. And he didn't know what to do with it. And he said the strangest things are happening. And, you know, in moments I, I don't kind of expect it. Prayers I learned as a child at church are coming to mind. I don't know that I'm praying them, but they're coming to mind. And, you know, songs that we would sing growing up are just in my mind. I can't, I can't get them out of my mind. And I don't know why that's happening. And I have not called him once. I'm not pursuing him at all. Someone else is. Someone else is after him. And it is a delight to watch. A delight. Let me point out something about this story. Did you notice, and I mentioned it a second ago, that Jesus comes to the man on water? He has to come to him across the lake under the water and he finds this man in death among the tombs. And then do you know, did you see that water plays another part in the story? If you, if you know the story, you, you certainly know this, but let's read on. I haven't read this yet. This is verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. But Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs and then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. 
<clears throat> so Jesus comes to the man on water, and in that same water, his sins, his bondage remains. Now, I'm not saying this story is about baptism. In fact, I, I don't think it is. It's worth thinking about, right? We got to watch that young man, Peyton, who's here this morning, drove from Boonville, Mississippi to be here this morning. Got to watch him give himself to Christ at the beginning of our service and baptism. And here's what happened in that water. Jesus came to him and his sins stayed there. What Paul tells us in Romans 6, this magisterial chapter about what happens to us when we're baptized, he says this, he sums it up like this. To those who are baptized, sin will have no power over you. Sin will have no power over you because you aren't under law, but under grace. Okay, notice, right? Sin will have no power over you, but that doesn't mean nothing has power over you. You're now under grace, right? Here's this guy. That's what we see in this story. And look, let's read on. A bunch of people, they come, and they want to see what's happened to this man. So let's read on. They came to Jesus, verse 15. They saw the man who used to be demon-possessed. They saw that very man who had been filled with many demons sitting there, fully dressed, completely sane, and they were filled with awe. Okay, sin will have no power, you not because nothing has power over you now, but because you're now under the grace of Jesus Christ, which is a power greater than any other power the world's ever seen. And they can see it in this man. He's completely sane and dressed, sitting there happy as can be. You know, there's no way this guy's like, uh, <clears throat> Oh, man, I wish I could go back to how it used to be. This is a real drag. Here, gave up all my freedom. Yep, I got clothes out of the deal, which isn't so bad, but I wish I could go back to how it used to be. And none of the people looking at him are thinking to themselves, wow, he had it a lot better back then. Free to do what he wanted to do, free to be where he wanted to be. Well, now, I know he looks happy, but he's surely pretty miserable inside. Right? Nobody who would give up their freedom and be under the grace of Jesus would really be happy, right? Nobody's saying that. It's foolish when you look at the story. In fact, he begs Jesus to let him go with him. He begs Jesus, let me go where you're going. I don't care where you're going. I want to go with you wherever you're going. I want to go with you. This guy is filled with joy. He has given up his freedom and he has been surprised by joy. That's what C.S. Lewis says. This isn't a drag. This is pure joy. He wants to go with Jesus. That's all he wants. Jesus tells him this. Pick up in verse 19. Jesus wouldn't allow it, wouldn't allow him to come with him. And he said, and said, he said, go home to your own people and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. If you'll leave that on the screen for just, for just one second. You see the difference between what Jesus tells him and what he does? Jesus tells him to go and tell what the Lord has done for you. What does he do? He goes and tells what? Jesus has done for him. 
Jesus is his Lord now. He's his master now. When you and I proclaim, when you and I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, what we proclaim to the world, to the 10 cities and beyond, what we proclaim is that there is one in the history of the cosmos, there is one who has come to this earth who has reached out to me in the place of my sin and bondage and death. There is one who has reached into that place and pulled me out. And there is only one. And so that one is my Lord and my master. And so I get my marching orders from him and no one else. And what he tells me to do is not a drag, it is a joy. It is the greatest joy to give up the illusion of freedom that I have had all my life. And to be under the grace of Jesus is not a burden, it is infinite, glorious joy. Why would you settle for anything else? I hope you don't. You're watching online or if you're here this morning, you want to give yourself to Jesus. If you want to make him the master of your life, why wait? It is only going to get better. 